0: Oh my, look at that fish!
1: Welcome everybody to the Smalley Talk podcast. This is your host, Chris Vaughn. Uh, We're in Studio B this evening. A uh, little little guest, little special guest here, and a guest host, uh, young Jeremiah Vaughn, my my little bro.
2: Hello. Hello. We are mat. We are wearing masks. Just to let you know. <laughs> no, we are
1: not wearing masks, dude. <laughs> He's he literally. I opened my mouth as soon as he got to my house, and he spit directly into my mouth just to make sure that whatever he has, I have. I don't know. It's gross. But anyways, uh, on the line we have a very special guest, somebody that. Uh, You know, I've personally been following for a very long time uh, The one and the only Juan Verut. Hello, Juan Hey, Chris, how you doing, buddy? Doing fine Uh, So for the listeners that don't know anything about you uh, First of all, they're probably not huge river smallmouth guys uh, Or they're new to the game Because uh, the stuff that you and guys like Jeff Little and John Ost And those guys have been putting out Kind of honestly pre you know was Even before YouTube was huge. I mean you guys have been putting out content about river kayak fishing for a really long time and uh, You know, we found your stuff a long time ago and it was definitely it definitely informed a Lot of years of our fishing and let us leap over several years. So why don't you kind of give a little bit of a background about who you are, what you do, where you're from, and uh, why people should listen to you. Okay, well, people should never listen to
3: me, number <laughs> one. We, we pretty much got that. we got to cover that first. You know, it's, it's like, uh, you know,
0: I'm over 50 years. I'm
3: every year I don't remember. Um, that's too old uh, but uh, I've been fishing since I was I mean probably about six years old something like that and, and I've fished a lot in, in Pennsylvania and I've fished really across the United States too I've been very fortunate to be able to do that and I've fished you know California Alabama <laughs> and every place in between um, my my real love though is moving water um, it's what I started fishing I transitioned into some lake fishing kind of around my college years Uh, but then circled back around to to river fishing soon after that. Uh, And so I've been at it a really long time. And over the years, I have a pretty methodical brain. And so over the years, I've kind of put together different strategies for river smallmouth bass specifically, but I fish for trout and everything else in between. Um, But I really focused a lot on river smallmouth bass um, because that's one of the fish I love to fish for. Um, It's just tons of fun. Um, Trout are really easy to catch, um, and smallmouth are a little bit harder to catch. Don't tell (laughs) the trout guys I said that.
2: (laughs) They don't (laughs) listen to this
1: podcast. they, they, They do not listen to this, and if they do... It's like it's like porn. If you saw your if you saw your neighbor in porn, you yeah. two would just lock eyes and immediately acknowledge that you knew who she was, but you would never you would never bring it up. You know,
3: <laughs> that, that'll work. That'll work. Trout
0: guys don't
1: like to hear this,
3: but you know, when you're fly fishing for trout, you might as well all be fishing with uh, power bait. I mean, it's pretty effective. So right, right. Um, you know, smallmouth bass is is, is a you know, especially the bigger fish, and that's. You know, over the years, you know, in the beginning it was, can I catch fish? Then it's like, okay, I'm catching fish, I'm catching fish, those come on the water. Then it was
1: like, okay, can I, you know, catch big fish and just target those bigger fish? Right. And, and so it's been a progression for me. And, and really part
3: of that progression has been, you know, winter fishing um, for smallmouth bass and, you know, moving water and rivers. Um, that was the next challenge, you know, obviously, you know kayak fishing is my thing I've taught classes for over a decade uh, actual physical classes for over a decade in kayak fishing uh, with a lot of success um, and, and my you know my clients my, my students have had a lot of success um, Many of them have caught their first 20 inch smallmouth, you know during my class and and then after class and so forth So that, that feels really good to do that. I love to teach and that's why I've been pushing out, you know, you as Chris said, you know, I've had a lot of content even before, you know, YouTube and all those other things. Um, Cause I, because, you know, fishing is not that hard. Um, we overcomplicate complicated as anglers. And if you follow a few simple principles, you can actually improve your learning curve significantly. Um, and that's really what I tried to do in my classes. But but my challenges were, you know, kite fishing, winter fishing. I'm at the point now in, in fishing for smallmouth that. It, I really have a lot of confidence every month of the year. Um, you know, I feel like I'm. Yeah, I can fish in the right places. I can make the right presentations to catch the fish. So I have a ton of confidence. Um, I usually, I mean, I, I typically catch fish in every single month of the year. Um, and then taking that a step further, another challenge for smallmouth was trying to really do winter um, smallmouth fishing with a fly rod. Yeah, and uh, and so. Really, that was a challenge that I took on a number of years ago. I can't even remember um, how many it's like four, five, six years ago. Um, I decided that, you know, because I was fly fishing for them in the summer, in the fall, um, late fall, and then, you know, uh, spring. But, you know, when, when things are easier, and, uh, and I thought, well, let's try to push the envelope a little bit here let's fly fish all year long and let's try to make sure that we kind of like keep tabs on what i'm doing and how i'm doing it uh so that i can keep repl- replicating it and that's the key you know do things find that sweet spot you know and, and keep replicating it and keep having success with it and uh and so i actually wrote an uh a a magazine article for Kayak Angler magazine and it was so long they actually split it into two parts <laughs> and it's it's actually posted on uh, the Kayak Angler website um, so if anybody wants to see some of this stuff in detail um, they can see it out there now because they took it out of their um, print magazine and, and published it all off and they split it up into two articles one is how to catch winter smallmouth on the fly and the other one is good grief I'm looking at it right now it is yeah. Fishing log, wilderness pro guide, one Small smallmouth secrets. Well, that sounds like I actually know what I'm doing. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow, I yeah, didn't, I didn't know. sounded that good.
1: they took some journalistic privilege there, you know. There's some, <laughs> yeah, some license. Yeah. So, <laughs> wow. no, I'm just kidding. And I'm actually <laughs> holding a fish too, so I must have some success <laughs> that day, you know. But both of the, both of those articles are actually one
3: big article I wrote for their magazine, and there's so much content in there. They split it up into two different pieces for their website and it's really good one because it follows every single month and what I did is the day that I felt like I learned the most I actually wrote about that day like it would be a lot water conditions um wet conditions um you know what the flow is like rising falling all those things you know how clear the water was and then I did a narrative on what I did and the tactic I used and the fly I used and the setup you know I used so even during the year I'm using different fly
1: rod setups right to accomplish different
3: things right my fly so that i can have success see now that's that's the thing i guess that's me in a nutshell
1: maybe so so you're you're a copious note taker is what it sounds like a logger a journal you know somebody who keeps a good fishing journal yeah i used to in the
3: beginning i've got years of journals and now i've found you know it's it's no, I don't
1: really keep a journal because I find it's a lot of repetition. Sure. And that's I, why and you, kept you kept the journal. You kept the journal to get to the point where you don't have to keep the journal anymore, right? Yeah, so that's, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I have that journaling in my head. That now it's like, okay, these conditions, this flow, this water clarity, this situation.
3: And then they might, but I know what I want. And, and, and then I also, in my classes, I keep going with flow too. And this is getting, you really have to adapt. I mean, if you look at any angler, you know, like a pro angler or something like that, like the ones that went on are ones that adapt. They, they might go in with one eye and then they change their mind pretty quickly and they can adapt to the situation at hand. They can, you know, adjust to catch fish. So, so a lot of what I do is adapt but. you is definitely helping over the years, definitely all log- that logging, so yeah. I highly recommend logging, it can it can really, if you log for two or three years, man, you can, and you, you keep the right information, and it doesn't have to be crazy good, my logs are one page, um, you know, but it doesn't have to be, you know, copious copious notes, but but it has to be the right stuff, and you can really start to zero in on things.
1: So maybe that's—I mean, that's not really the topic that we brought you on to talk about. But I'm interested yeah. for sure. So, what what kind of things to these young anglers and people like me? Because you know, I mean, you're ahead of way ahead of the game. You know, from where I'm at, like, what type of things do you think are critical pieces of information that should go into, you know, somebody who aspires to get to the level where you're at? What kind of what sure. kind of things? Should we be writing down and keeping copious notes about?
3: Sure. Basically, right now I'm actually digging in my office because I'm remodeling my office, and I got one of my logs <laughs> in there. So hey, look at that river fishing law 2014. All right, nice. so, <clears throat> so basically, you know, I think the number one thing for river angler. I'm not going to go through everything, but because sure. I don't want to like bog things down, but I think one of the things a river angler has to get in the winter. So let's talk about kind of winter stuff. Yeah, um, since that kind of topic here is the flow. Um, you know, is it a rising flow? You know, is, are the levels rising or are they dropping? Okay. Um, one of the things that I've noticed in my logs the most, and this is a great, you know, if you have the choice of when you fish, if you can fish like the beginning of a rise, you know, the first you know hours you know first day of the ride yeah that is the best fishing because what's happening is you know even in the winter like like a lot of folks think like oh it's muddy and it's getting high and the fishing's gonna suck you know that's not true like one of the pictures i'm looking at from i think it was like december or something like that the water's so muddy you can't see two inches through it wow. i'm still catching fish i'm still yeah. catching bats so, so it was in a rising water condition. That it made sure I was out there on that those day that day. <laughs> so, so if you can choose your battle, um, choose rising river in the beginning of the rise. Yeah, um, that's most productive because the food chain is activated. They get lodged from the bank, Things get from their normal cover. You know, the bait fish get moved around in the winter. They're not moving very fast, so they're pretty easy pickings. Um, and so that's the time to fish. And good for all that, that advice would be good for all year around. Uh, the other thing that I paid attention to in the winter is warming trends, um, and a warming trend could be a five degree warm up, right, in the winter? Yep. Um, and if it's more than that, that's great. So another thing I say is if you hit a warming trend, um, and it's been like really cold, and let's like, say it's been like in the 20s, and it's going to get to like 36 degrees, or right? something like that. Like you want to hit that on um, that warming trend on about the third day of the warm up. That seems to be about the best day, third or fourth day. Again, yeah. nothing is like total science here, right? I mean, there are other factors, um, but that third day of a warming trend in the winter can be really good. Yeah. When the warm weather hangs on, it keeps getting warmer. I mean, it just gets better each day. You know, I try, it's, it's rare in the winter. If I look at my logs and warming trends, it's rare that we keep warm about three days a real warm up, and then something happens and it goes right back down to cold. I
1: live in the northeast Pennsylvania. You know, that's it's as fast as you can get. Yeah. I mean, so when you're talking about a five degree pop, you know, with temperature, you're talking air temperature there, you're talking water temp
3: water temperature
1: yeah that's what i okay so that's
3: in air temperatures too sorry because i usually the air temperatures go off the water the, the, the water temperatures kind of feed off the air temperatures sure and so if i see if i see like a five degree pop in the air temperature even you know, there's going to be some warm up there too in the water and so you're going to get you know a few degrees warm up in the water does
1: that make sense yeah no absolutely I mean okay so what what else so that's so that's something that that's a mistake that I've made in the past you know when I'm journaling on fishing conditions a lot of times I'll just record the CFS and I'll say you know clearing or you know uh, water water level steady water level dropping water level rising or something like that it, I think the more detailed yeah. information about you know hey uh, CFS was this, uh, three days ago rain on this day bumping flows up to this level when we were out on the water you know having that yeah. detail I think you know we'll pay dividends later on so what
3: what yeah, el- what I usually what I usually do with my game is when I was my journal I did didFS and the feet as well and so okay. what I did is I, I marked it when I began fishing and then I marked it when I ended fishing hmm. so what you can do that is USgs gauges you can go back and time. And you don't have to necessarily like look at it when you're out there. I just like time. Um, you know, I say, okay, what time do I start fishing? What time do I end fishing? And actually enter the data the gauges from from the start time and then from the end time of fishing. Then can put a little arrow
1: in my you know in my uh, thing. that says, oh, that wasn't falling; I was flat. And that's what I do, I'm kind of into the gauge. So I look. Okay. And I'm so that's good. All right. Hey Juan, we're having we're having some audio problems here. Let me. Uh, I, I think I'm going to move to another spot in in my house. Maybe I think because it might be in my basement. Let me. I'm going to call okay. you right back. Okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. No All problem. Right. Buddy. No problem. Right. Your, your your reception good now, buddy? Yeah, it's good now. Sorry, I, we were in my we were in my basement and it was the content was too good to. Have your audio be broken up the whole time so so anyways, so we're talking journals Uh, You you kind of gave us a brief overview and want to record down for CFS any any other tips about stuff that we should be uh, recording
3: Yeah, uh, water clarity that was important to your presentation Um, I don't pay much attention to barometric pressure that doesn't seem to be like one of the top factors in, in river fishing. Right. So I, I almost don't pay attention to it anymore. I, as a matter of fact, I don't think I've looked at it for years. Um, the water level is the most important thing, rising, falling, steady. Um, and then beyond that, um, obviously the, the presentation, like the lure and the presentation, where you're fishing in the water column is important. Um, you know, and, I, and so there's a bunch of stuff in here. Uh, I could even. Uh, you guys have a web page or something? I could even send this to you. I got. I actually got to do something with this and, and put it out
1: there. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean, you can. Yeah. You can email me. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll link up about it afterwards. Or maybe maybe if you, I can post it on our blog and we can drop the link uh, to it in the show notes for this one. Cool. Now, what about cool. like uh, something that I tend to pay attention to a lot, and I'm not sure a lot of people do, but maybe I'm off base here. Uh, I pay attention a lot to the moon cycle because I find, you know, like in a new moon setting, I find fishing to be a little bit better, uh, especially when in, when water clarity is high, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to like a full moon. Uh, maybe the fish are feeding all night with a, with a full moon or something like that. Is that something you pay attention to as well? Um,
3: I, I, I usually don't because I, I don't pay attention to that because I'm going to fish what I'm going to fish. Yeah, Yeah. Well. And- and, it, you know, it may give me an indication, like you said, like if it's the summer and the water's clear and there was a full moon all night and it's been hot, the fish probably are feeding at night. Yeah. But that's probably not going to stop me from fishing during the day. And no. then I just need <laughs> to figure out what, what to, you know, I just got to figure out what I need to do to catch them, you know, right. because they've been, you know, been feeding up all night and they're not necessarily in a feeding mood, you know, that day. Um, but you know, some of the other things I look at are, are the temperatures. Again, um, I take the morning air temperature, the noon air temperature and the evening air temperature. And I use, um, the weather, you know, weather, um, apps and weather, um, websites to do that. I don't log that stuff while I'm out there because I find that to be a a kind of a waste of time. Um, I usually just journal when I get, when I get home and a lot of stuff I peel off of websites. I actually take the gauges and print them out on the back of every one of my sheets. I take the gauge for the day and I print it out, and wow. then I just kind of mark it up. And I might make some notes in the gauge, like, like if I caught fish at a certain time. And then I, I even put gauges in there, like what has been doing. The gauge has been doing the last three or four days. Wow! <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's
1: so. detailed, man. That's that's like honestly, that's like a treasure trove. If you publish your journals, it might it might go. Uh, you might become get a bestseller out of that or something. Yeah. I don't know, but
3: the day the day I'm looking at, Chris, I caught a uh, 20, and a half, uh, twenty and four nineteens that day.
1: That's a decent day. Yeah, that's yeah, decent. that, that, I mean, that was <laughs> that's like hard... that wasn't
3: the only fish I caught over She's forty fish that day. So.
1: yeah, and that was was that a winter day or was that what was that? That
3: was like like late. It was like March,
1: the end of March. Wow. Well, so I can tell us, you this. That's, that's you, kind of winter. You may not even remember, there was a video that you and Jeff did, uh, you know, I it was a long time ago. I mean, honestly, you guys must have been filming this with, like, an on-the-shoulder video camera. I mean, that's how long ago it seemed like, but I remember there were, there were like, there was snow on the banks, and it was you and Jeff, you guys were fishing, and I remember Josh Shrinko and I were, you know, just getting into this whole thing and kind of learning and, you know... Uh, what we were doing is really fishing summer, you know, spring, summer, and fall. And we just, you know, instinctively weren't fishing in the winter. And I remember seeing that video and and I, it just like a light bulb went off. Like you can do what the, it was, it was like a, an epiphany, I guess, or something, you know, like you can do this, like this is possible to go out in the winter and catch fish like this. And I mean, you know, Jeff had like, you know, it was a huge 20 inch smallmouth that he caught out of a tributary to the Susquehanna. And I was I remember being pretty blown away so um so why don't you kind of i think one thing that's interesting about you is you grew up fly fishing for trout right yeah yeah. okay central pa yes yeah and you kind of eventually kind of in your young adult years kind of transitioned into fishing for smallmouth with conventional gear is that right
3: Yeah, basically, I started out fly fishing as a young kid, and then I really, it's kind of a weird situation. When I got into high school, I got more into conventional gear, and I just kind of, you know, fly fished a little bit here and there. And then when I was in college, I fly fished a lot for smallmouth because we figured out in the low clear water that the fly rod was the best way to target the fish we were fishing for in the smaller creeks Mm -hmm. and so i really got in i mean i fished for two years heavily for smallmouth with a fly rod um you know while i was in college and then i actually didn't even pick up a fly rod for about another 25 years wow. after that because I got so much into conventional gear. Um, but when I got back in fly fishing, it, it was – the gear's a lot better now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I bet. I mean, like, I, I picked up probably, like, a low-end Orvis rod, and I picked that thing up, and I was like, oh, my God. I don't, you know, because before it was like – you ever see those buggy whip flags you used to put on bicycles and <laughs> whip around? Yeah. Like, that was the fly rods we used whenever I was coming up. You know what I mean? It was like this fiberglass, crazy, flimsy, you know –
2: did they even have welded loops on your fly line back then?
3: Like, um, yeah, they were just coming out. <laughs> I was about to say. Just that's coming out, yeah. yeah. like a newfangled thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> that's funny. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's – so we kind of have a similar trajectory about how we, you know – I mean, you're kind of a fly fisherman now, right? I mean, would you yeah, say yeah, predominantly 80% of the time you're going out with fly gear – as opposed um, to conventional gear in the last
3: couple of years yes i mean yeah. like i said i'm always looking for a challenge and i've definitely fly fished especially in the last year a lot more than i've conventional fished um you know i mean i just did a trip to the juniata a few weeks ago we did really well on, on nice fish with jerk baits but uh, yeah but i've been fly fishing mostly yeah and
1: That's i know nice i fish. know that you you know we don't really have to talk about this but i know that you guys have done some really awesome like backpacking trips up in the sierra nevadas and all that kind of stuff too but but I mean, the big thing I I think you, you and I have a very similar trajectory. Like I fished a lot with, you know, fly gear as a kid for trout, you know, and then conventional gear. And then I picked up fly you know, fly gear in my mid twenties. Um, and I think that there's something about, you know, knowing how to catch fish, you know, having that background of, you know, with conventional gear of knowing where fish are in the river, knowing where they're holding, knowing where they're going to feed, knowing what kind of conditions to fish, what kind of baits, all yeah. that kind of stuff is a really solid foundation for somebody who comes into fly fishing for smallmouth. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I, I mean, I is that something you can kind of speak to a little bit more? Before. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's for me. I mean, I feel like that's, that's uh, 60% of this game is figuring yeah. out, you know, where the fish are, what kind of, what kind of bait they're eating, you know where they're going to be holding, when you can catch them and when you can't. You know all of that kind of stuff, and and you've already got that on top of, you know, you don't. All you have to concentrate on now is applying the fly gear to those specific situations.
3: Yeah, it's yeah. I've been really successful with smallmouth, um, you know, with conventional gear, and that def, the, the knowledge I've amassed doing that is, has really transitioned over fly fishing, really well. Um, because I'm able to locate fish. I'm able to figure out where those fish are in a wintering area, and yeah. I'm able to understand the kinds of presentations cold water fish really like most days. You know, you, you know nothing's written in stone. You <laughs> sure. know, Some of the things they are, you know, like what I tend to do is focus on the, the tactics that bring anglers the most success the fastest. That's how I teach my classes, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, what can I say? What can I teach you? that will give you the quickest bang for your buck, <laughs> you know, the quickest win. And then you can build on that from there and, and go in your own direction, you know? Um, so, so yeah, the conventional gear, I mean, you know, I could probably go two or three years without getting skunked when I fish all year with conventional gear, like for every month. If I get skunked, it's going to be January or February. <laughs> yeah. Because <sure. laughs> those, those are definitely the toughest months, oh, yeah. but you know, transitioning to fly fishing, really fly fishing in the winter, the, the the key things there and I wrote some notes for myself so I could kinda keep it um kinda again simple um and, and kinda keep it down to the, the brass tacks. The first thing is you gotta find the fish. You have to be fishing in the right water on the river. In the river, you know, I'm gonna say this number, it may or may not be true exactly, but in the winter you know, winter months. And I mean, by winter, I mean the water temps are in the thirties. Yep. Like when the water temps are in the forties, to me, that's not cold weather, you know, cold water, winter fishing. When those water temps dip under that 40 degree mark, that's where you separate the wheat from the chaff.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and so you really have to be able to find the, the,
3: the part of the river, the, the area of the river where those fish are, because they're only going to be in about 10% of that water. You could fish, Fishless water all day long mm-hmm. if you don't know how to locate what we would call wintering pools. So that's the first thing, you gotta find the fish. The second thing that I think is important for a winter angler with a fly rod, you gotta put the bait where the fish want it. That's really important. And actually in the winter, that's pretty easy because you narrow down your possibilities of the water column, right? Yeah. I mean You know i mean i I was out the water temps were like 45 degrees the other day and i was throwing a popper on top right you know i just wanted (laughs) to see i got a couple looks right but i just wanted to see if i could do it right push the boundaries a little bit but but you know you you really you really are at an advantage of an angler because you know those fish are going to be feeding closer to the bottom of the water column you know they're not going to be coming up in the middle too often or uh, uh, the upper water columns. So that's that's a real advantage I see that honestly Chris is an advantage in the winter because that narrows down kind of baits I want to use mm-hmm. okay yep. um, and then the the third thing I would say how fast you move the bait that's the, the I think the third most important thing and these are all kind of in, in order of importance and then the last thing honestly, is the bait that you use. (laughs) So in in the bait that you use, the fly that you use, as long as you stick to some basic concepts, you're probably going to be okay. And you're going to be in the ballpark of something that they're going to want to eat. Yeah. So, so if you, if you can do those four things, you know, really the first three things, you're in pretty darn good shape. So how do you find the fish? That's, you know, you got to find what we call wintering pools and rivers. In the big Susquehanna River, I mean, it's a mile wide. I know that, that you know, Josh has fished there with me. And, you know, he's, you know he knows how vast this place is. It's, it's a moving lake, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's a mile wide in some places. What we look for are areas, this is just generally what we look for, for wintering pools in the winter, when it, you know, end of November through March. We're looking at places that have relative depth, right? So they got to be deep, Places that have good rock structure, because that's a rocky river right under that water. So it's got to be relatively deep. It's got to have good rock structure. Important thing as well the the current's got to be soft. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be moving, you know, at a steady flow, a steady rate, but it's got to be pretty soft. And it's got to also have some pockets of really slow, almost not moving water. So those are what we call wintering pools. The last. Kind of criteria we use to locate what we like a possible wintering pool is that it has to be a place or a pool where if the water comes up really high, you know, and there's like, you know, mobile homes floating down the river <laughs> and everybody's junk tires, right? We got those, man. Guards, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then whatever else trash flows down the river when the river gets high. When the water comes up really high, because that happens during the winter and it happens in early spring there has to be some refuge for those fish there. If that pool gets blown out, like I've seen a lot of anglers say, hey, I'm fishing in a place, it's got eight foot of water, it's pretty slow, I'm fishing there, but I'm not catching any fish, you know, it seems pretty good, right? But then I say to that angler, it's like, okay, if that water gets blown out, where would those fish go? Is there a ledge system they can follow up and tuck in behind, you know what I mean? Is there a, a cutout in the bank at that pool that when the water gets high, it turns into a big eddy? And they can just pull into there because they need to reserve energy. And and if a pool gets blown out at high water levels, they're not going to want to be there in the winter because they're going to have to move too far, right? They're going to have to move too far to get cover or get slow water again. They're going to have to, um, you know move you know out of the zip code some places if it's really blown out does that make sense
1: no absolutely It's mean, uh, a pool where it's really slow and, and it's
3: kind of deep and you're like wow this is be a good pool and then you see during the summer even a summer rain hits and you look at that thing that's just pumping away exactly and there's yeah. really no refuge for this fish it's not going to be a winter pool um now, in bigger rivers like the Susquehanna, you're going to have river pools literally with hundreds of fish. You can find the right word, river pool. We call those, we call those a, uh, a pools, right? We group them by A, B, <laughs> you know. And, and then in smaller rivers, you in, in, in those wintering pools, you're going to have literally hundreds of fish. Mm-hmm. And they can be pretty big in, in the Susquehanna, the wintering pools, um, you know. And, and when you find a really good one, there could literally be hundreds of fish down there. So you you just upped your odds, right? Yeah. you just totally up your odds, um, and then in a smaller river,
1: and when you, you might be and when you find done. one, when you find an a hole like that, <laughs> they, uh, there's a lot of a holes out the river. I mean, these, like, you yeah. can find that a hole. You know, it'll yeah. be it'll be an a hole one year to the next to the next, unless yeah. something crazy yeah. happens. I mean, those yeah, are exactly those are it's a, a hole. Yeah. yeah yeah a-holes are always going to be a-holes pretty much I like that and you're right you
3: know I have seen though with the ebb and flow of of populations of fish and maybe the fish do move around because of water levels like last year we had a really low water year uh huh and, and what we found was some of our really good a holes were not very good anymore. They were like B and C holes. They got
0: they got <laughs> loosened. They
1: got loosened up or what? Yeah. B holes or C holes? <laughs> they, they weren't good to us anymore, so we had to
3: go find another a hole. Well, so, I gotta I
1: gotta I gotta point out the fact that a hole, B hole, and C hole are all innuendos. Just just. I, I can't I won't say it again I won't concentrate on it but I just wanted to point What's it the out. What's You seem to be. a little <laughs> I <little laughs> like, will say that. That's uh, that's my that's I, I'm my just special glad skill. Josh isn't here. He'd
0: have his pants off or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's, For
1: they're sure. probably off at home. Yeah, but but anyway, so uh, I have a question real quick. Yeah, go
2: ahead. One, whenever you go out in those tough winter months, is there a, a typical number of fish that you have in mind that you want to you want to hit or is that a pretty, a number that varies a lot for you?
3: It, it's a number that varies in the winter, depending on when I'm fishing and what the conditions are. Because I'll fish in non-optimal conditions. You right. know, um, I might pick three, pick up three fish. I might pick up, you know, I, I got a video that I just posted on my Facebook page. And I think I caught like 40 fish in December yeah. or something like that. That's Four-year a stellar 50 day. <laughs> And, cool. and it wasn't in that, of, I mean, it was like in a, in a few hours, a handful of hours. Why don't you go ahead and plug
1: um, plug your Facebook page now. Uh,
3: okay, it's, it's Juan Verute Fishing.
1: Yeah, Juan Verute, and that's J U A N V. Yeah, Verute,
3: V is in Victor, E-R-U-E-T-E, and then fishing, Juan Root Fishing. Nice. And I post a lot of stuff on there.
1: Yeah, highly, highly uh, recommend a follow, and and it's what's your Instagram too? Isn't it? Is it? Uh, One
3: root fishing. Same yeah, it's the same thing. thing.
1: Okay, yeah I, yeah. I
3: try to be all marketing and stuff. And
1: do all <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. You you must work for a college. But anyways, all right. So uh, you're talking a holes. Uh, Once you, so what happens? You know, what, what's a b hole look like for you?
3: So, so that's a good question because in smaller rivers. Sometimes you do get those nice pools that there are really good wearing pools, but, but other times you're gonna get cutouts, you know, along the bank uh-huh. and, and there's only gonna be a handful of fish. So what happens is on the Susquehanna, for example, when you're fishing a really good wearing pool, you can stay there all day long and fish
1: yeah. for hours. Yeah. When you're when you're on a smaller flow, you're gonna
3: probably have to move and that's where identifying these places is possibilities. And, and actually, Jeff Little and I did a, a video on that, the process of elimination and how to identify these learning pools, And it's on his um, YouTube channel. It's the little stuff. Um, and it's how we start in about November because you'll find these fish moving into those areas in November and you will catch tons of fish there. Mm -hmm. and they'll be starting to pull up and they're going to be in that area right so so you you know um jeremiah asked me that question like how you know how many fish do you expect to catch well i'll go into a possible wearing hole in november a few different times if i really am focused on that wearing pool and i'm going to fish it a few different times in november to see if I'm, i'm catching more and more fish because in november they're still feeding real heavy and you can catch a bunch of fish if it's a wintering pool. Yeah. And then you know you've got a bunch of fish pulled up there that are going to be there pretty much all winter long. And the same thing in smaller flows. You know, you're looking for cutouts. You're looking for pulls. You know, big a uh, pool, deep pool with a ledge in it or big boulders in it, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, again, if it gets high, you want to see a nice cutout there so they can pull into that eddy. Makes sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, I always in, in I always think float, about it like yeah. when I'm yeah. floating down looking for wintering spots, I always think like, yeah. If if flood stage happened right now mm-hmm. what would the water what would the water look like yeah, you know is exactly. the water going to be yep. sweeping around this nice yep. you know sharp bend and creating yep. a big giant eddy on this turn yep. you know yep. whatever you know what are these big fish you know they don't want to sit in the flow whenever it's yep. high in winter you know when it's below 40 degrees you know yep. they want a yep. spot that's like a little pond for them you know <laughs> so is there something they can is there something they can dip into because if not, it's, it's probably a waste of your time in winter. That's right. In, yeah. in the
3: winter, it, it, they're not going to be there. And again, the way you find these places is in late, you know, November, early November, start going to those places. Right. And then by late November, you're going to kind of know if that's a place where the, the, the fish are kind of pulling in there. But in the smaller flows, it's, it might be a handful of fish. You might catch yeah. four or five fish out of a spot. And then you got to move. That's where your jet boat's going to come in handy, Chris.
1: Hey, I just bought it today. You got to
3: move from from spot to spot, do do milk runs on different, you know, different, different watering spots. Um, That's right. So so that's kind of how it works. And if you want to, like, what I look for is cutouts in, also, another another clue is, you know, when, when an eddy like that forms, it leaves behind trash and, and it leaves behind, like, you know, like clusters of trash from the eddy and stuff sure, yeah. along the bank, you know what I mean? You'll see, or, 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 you know, tree limbs and stuff like that piled up. And so so sometimes you'll see that, too, and that'll be a clue that that's actually nice, big, good eddy.
1: Yeah, great. What, what about, um, one thing you kind of briefly touched on was uh, fly characteristics. So... Yeah. What are some, what are some basic features, uh, that can be broadly applied for our listeners about what type of flies they should be tying, what type of flies they should be buying. And then, and then we can talk about how to present those flies, you know, shortly thereafter. Yeah, no, I'm
2: almost, I'm also curious to see what profile of fly, like, is it a, mm -hmm. do you tend to lean towards a larger profile or a smaller profile?
3: Definitely smaller profiles in the winter. Again, it's, it's, you're up in your odds, right? Um, you, you could fish bigger stuff, but some days that, you know, you, I, I say what's going to work the most days, and, you know, and, and what works most days is a smaller profile fly, and really in the wintertime, in most rivers for smallmouth, you've got really limited types of forage, right, limited shapes of forage. There's minnow, there might be shad-shaped forage, right, and there might be crawfish, so, so you know, and then there's bugs, right? So, but, you know, how many bugs are really moving around a lot in the wintertime, right? right? Um, so, you know, if it's a Helgramite, it's probably, you know, dug down in the mud someplace. Sure. And the crayfish do get active. Deepen I mean, that's, hole. I think, one of the reasons that smallmouth get really active on a warming trend is because not only are they warming up and their metabolism is warming up, but also I've seen a lot of crawfish moving around, you know, in the winter, um, you know, when, when you have that warming trend too. And so that can be a food source for them. So they're going to feed on on crawfish and minnow forage mostly um, in the winter, at least, you know, in, in the Pennsylvania flows that I fish. So those are the profiles I look for, so crawfish. I'm looking at stuff mostly around three inches down to two inches. Um, some of the flies actually have them out here. I'm kind of looking at them. So some of my favorite flies and again if you go to the kayak angler website, it actually has like almost everyone's flies sticking out of a fish's mouth. And I'm not one of those fake guys that like hangs the bait in the <laughs> fish's mouth. <laughs> so so everything that I'm gonna tell you, there's probably a picture out there with me having a fish hand- holding a fish with that bait hanging out of their mouth. One of my favorites is uh, is a really simple crawfish that's you you know, it's it's the one I use mostly is tied on a one hot hook. Um, And I'm using a, uh, I think it's like I want to say a uh, Mustad, real simple Mustad 3366. Um, And so it's a one aught hook. And what what it is, it's a a crawfish with like like this suede, um, ultra suede claws cut for it. Um, And then it uses a chenille body, so it's real simple to make. And then it uses uh, dumbbell eyes as weight. And around the chenille, then, I have uh, um, um, some uh, um, rubber legs, like round rubber legs, Mm -hmm. the whole way around to make it almost like a jig, but very sparse. You know what I mean? It's only there to add a little bit of movement. It's not there to add big bulk. So it's very, like, slim. It's a very slim profile. And this crayfish on that one-out hook, i got a ruler here I'm looking at. It's, uh, like, two and a half inches. Okay. total. So, so that's one of the things I use. The other thing about this crawfish bait with the, with the ultra suede, uh, claws, one of the things you can do in the wintertime with your flies like this, and, and some guys might find this deep blasphemy, but let's face it. I mean, the bass anglers, you know, the fly anglers now they are out there going for bass, they're trying to mimic lures <laughs> mostly. I mean, you look at all the new, you know, the new, uh, um, you know, uh, I call them jerk baits, but you know all yeah. the new, uh, you know, jointed, you know, stuff that they're making. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's all trying to imitate lures because it, that they're effective. So the claw, you can actually take and put um, some uh, um, some uh, like crawfish scent on it, and like I use, uh, I think a Bio Edge in the stick, and I just rub it on these claws. Yep. What that does for you in the winter time, you know, the fish. It, they, smallmouth aren't catfish. They don't, like, search for the food using their taste, right? What it does for you is it helps you have that fish hang on to the fly a little bit longer to give you a chance to detect the bite. Because in the winter, the bites are very light sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, it's... It also, like, in it the wintertime, the bite is so light that even yeah. conventional guys have trouble feeling them, yes. right? So, right. I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I'm not a purist. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. you know whatever catches fish catches fish i mean that's what the, that's what we're out there to do I use stink in the winter. You know, when I'm fly fishing, I have a garlic yep. stick. You know, I put it on there
2: and a strike indicator
1: and a strike. <laughs> I, I I have been known to use a strike indicator as well. But anyways, well, did you ever uh, so, tie,
3: let me let me ask you this, Chris. Yeah, did you ever tie a stick of dynamite to your fly? <laughs> uh,
1: if if I if I could legally buy it, I probably would. No, I'm just kidding. no, that's uh so yeah no that's a that's a great tip and you know if you're sticking your nose up at that, then you probably just don't catch as many fish as Juan does. So anyway. Anyway, so go on. What what else do you so, what else? You so to so do?
3: that's a crawfish fly, and I usually do that in two different sizes. I've got a three inch, and I've got uh, like it's about a. I'm looking at the other one tied on a probably size four hook. Okay. Um, and it's a two inch. So I got three inch and two inch, and that is really important to have those two sizes. I, I think that you know the two inch can work sometimes in a three inch, and you also want to think about when you're tying these kind of flies or buying these flies, weight's really important too. Mm-hmm. because you know if you want to get deeper you got to use a heavier dumbbell yeah. um and then some days you're fishing a little bit shallower a little bit less flow and, and you're going to want something a little bit lighter dumbbell so you got to really think about that you know what i mean uh, and so i usually have those two different sizes and i got those in a couple just a couple different dumbbell weights um in case i need something really super heavy
1: now do you um, go like you were talking about a little bit more sparse on the material and, and this is a bit counterintuitive for, for, you know, the listeners or the new people to fly tying. but the sparse material will actually help your fly get down in the water column a little quicker, you know, because typically like it it is counterintuitive. Like it's, it's, you know, you think that, Oh, the water's going to soak up all this material and sink faster, but that's generally not the case. You know, the less material you have with those dumbbell eyes and that that heavy hook, it's going to get your fly down, and that's one of the most important features of a winter fly: sparse material, you know, weight to get the fly down, and you know, and then of course we'll get into presentation, which is important
2: as well. well one, so. are you if, throwing if an intermediate line in the winter, or a full sink line, or do you?
3: I do sometimes. Um, in again, that the article I wrote goes into that quite. You know, in some of the months where I'm have conditions where I'm changing up my line and my leader. Um, and I don't get super technical with it. Right. I'll use an intermediate line when I have pretty constant flow. Like if I'm in a really big wearing pool on a Susquehanna, I got one pictured in my head right now where the flow is pretty even and pretty darn slow. I can get away with it because the line, you know, you're not dragging that line across or through a bunch of different currents, right? right. And you're not getting big bows in your line and so forth. Um, and, but if I have a bunch of different currents, or I feel like you know I'm really spot hitting it more, and I want to like really zero in on location. I'll actually just go to a, a floating line, so it's up on top of the water, and a really long leader. <laughs> so you know right. what I mean, so that it'll drop down right. where I want it to be. It makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And I have less I have less fly line actually under the water where I have to try to control it and mend it and all those kind of right. things.
2: Right. You're still allowing your fly to get down real quick with that long leader. Yeah. Yeah,
3: gotcha. yep, exactly, exactly. And in, in what I do with these flies is I'll turn up, even though the, the this is a little trick here to reduce snags because you definitely want to be on bottom. If you're not feeling bottom with these baits, you're not, you're probably not where the fish are going to eat. Yep. Um, so if you're just feeling water and that's it, then you, you got to get heavier. Um, but what I do too is I, I bend up the hook a little bit to, to about 70 degrees. And and I found that that does help
1: with snags. Hmm. Um,
3: it it kind of reduces the the snag the snag quotient a little bit.
1: Really? So, so you bend the yeah, at so the I, at the bend yeah. of the hook, you just sort of straighten yeah. it out just ne- slightly
3: near the eye. Yeah, near the eye. I take a uh, you know a set of pliers and I just bend it up to about seventy degrees, like that last maybe quarter inch or so of the hook. Bend it up.
1: Interesting. that's okay. seventy degrees. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Okay, well, that's a good that's a good tip right there for, uh, but I, I think that one thing you just kind of, you know, uh, I want to draw emphasis to I guess is the fact that you said, you know, if you're not feeling bottom, you know, you're not you're probably not going to be where the fish are. That's I think that's, right, yeah. that, that's huge. You know, a lot yeah. you can yeah. go you can yeah. go dead drift to Clouser Mineral all day, and if you're not yeah. feeling bottom. Uh, you know, you're you're just not gonna you're just not gonna catch them.
3: Exactly, and and in the winter again, I mean, you've got like like, what I try to do is turn around what people think is a bad thing into a good thing, right? I always use the fish's behavior against the fish. Yeah, and the fish's behavior in the winter is staying close to bottom. Yep, staying in slow water. And, and only coming up maybe you know, a little bit off the off the bottom, so that to me says, hey, I just put my bait on the bottom, and that's where most of the fish are going to be, and that's where I've got the best chance of of, of catching those fish.
1: so one um, uh, one kind of uh, a, a pr- an approach question. So, as a fly angler, a lot of times how I like to approach a spot is I like to I like to fish down and quartering right so like i want i want my the nose of my boat at least for me this is what how i do it and and that's why i'm asking you but i like to i like to point my boat downstream because we fish out we fish out of a raft more frequent i don't i'm not a big kayak angler so so we're we're, when we fish out of a raft the the front of the boat facing downstream and we fish kind of quartering downstream Uh, and we, and we try and drift it that way, or we fish directly across stream more often in winter, you know, we'll fish directly across stream so we can get the fly down a little bit, um, and let it hang right there in the strike zone as a, as a kayak angler. How do you, how do you find more success when you approach winter spots? Uh,
3: to my best success, because it gives me the most control over my bait and the best feel, whether I'm conventional or fly fishing for me, when I'm in my kayak, is fishing at a basically right off at a ninety degree angle off my boat, so I'm going to face the boat upstream or downstream to slow the drift. Again, we're talking about slow wearing pulls, sure. and it, that's if I'm not if I'm not anchored, and I'll drift that pull, and then I'll go back up to the top, drift it again, go back up top, and usually these are slow, so it you know it takes a while to drift down and go
1: back up again. So you just um, drift at the same speed as your fly. So you'll that's right. you'll cast that's off right. ninety degrees to your left or right. Yep. And just let yep. your boat and the fly match mm-hmm. speed, yep. and yep. see if that'll because that off more often than not. That's how you get your fly down. You know, you don't yes. have you don't have the the tension of your fly line dragging yep. the fly up. Yes. So
2: right. you don't
3: have to drag your boat slower than the current or faster
2: than the current. <laughs> especially <laughs> you know, if you're throwing intermediate line where you can't yeah, men, where you right. can't really mend exactly. it properly. So exactly. that's a, so that's yeah, a big I mean,
1: difference probably between like conventional gear, you know, it's often, you know, you want to be anchored up facing upstream, you know, or, or, you know, not everybody does it that way, but you know, a lot of people want to be completely stationary, you know, facing upstream, fishing back towards you, you know, bouncing the bouncing the bait slowly off the bottom, you know, back to them in the winter. But, you know, that, that approach really doesn't work for fly anglers. You know, it's, it's not you're fly, you're going to line fish that way, you know, you're not going to be able to feel anything. The current's going to drag your fly line under, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of variables there. So that's a huge piece, you know, for the fly anglers listening, you know, uh, left and right match the speed of your drift, you know, the drift of your fly should be matching the speed of your boat. And that'll allow the fly to kind of hang there as well. But, you know, the other way to do it, I guess, is to, is to kind of cast off the front into the side of the boat and just let it hang there in the strike zone if you can keep mending and keep the fly stationary. But yeah. But a lot of
3: of times I'll dead drift the bait too. I mean, again, depending on my line setup and stuff like that, like I'll actually cast like almost like a a gear angler and kind of what you were talking about. I'll I'll cast upstream and dead drift it. Again, we're talking about a wintering pool, so it's pretty easy to get it down. And usually then I'm using a, a floating line so that I have more line out of the water than in the water um and i find i can i can dead drift it that way and then i just let it swing down so i don't cast like way up above me upstream like if i'm fishing from a stationary boat in a water in a learning pool i will cast upstream but only slightly upstream okay i mean yeah enough to kind of get a drift going a dead drift going and getting the bait down and then i usually just kind of like swing it and then you know maybe i'm slowly stripping it in at the same time kind of getting into the presentation there
1: but yeah but, i mean getting uh, that so. getting kind of the bows out of your line getting the slack yeah, out of your yeah. line but you know that's another big difference is like uh i don't know what your retrieves i i tend to try and sw- it's like almost like a swing i mean you just you let the current take your fly and you just swing and feel pretty much i mean are you doing short strips slow strips i mean how, how are you bringing yeah, when, when i'm using
3: a crayfish um bait, you know i will try to dead drift it as much as I can again depending on the pool, um, and just control my line by mending mm-hmm. um, and then and then, if I'm going to retrieve it in I usually find that pauses are really effective in the winter again this is a general concept it's pretty powerful the fish love pauses in the winter so if I can really get a pa- some kind of a pause in there by stripping it and then stopping you know just holding on it that's what I'll do Usually my strips in the winter time are really super slow. Yeah. I'm just crawling that bait across the bottom about a foot maybe at the most and then I'm just going to take my time, stop, pause, you know, reach up again, strip a little bit more line. You can you see how I'm talking right now. Yeah. <laughs> like it's
2: it's I'm I'm, I'm, I'm instinctively reaching my arm out like yeah. extending it to get that extra two seconds of, oh, have you yeah. ever
1: have you ever seen somebody feed a baby and not try and open your mouth whenever they're feeding a baby that's what it's, Jeremiah it's, just did with his arm just right. kind of
3: When you see like when you see like those slots on TV and how they move right? <laughs> right. Like that's how you gotta fish it man, yeah you
0: know yeah and,
3: and what I find is you know not doing a lot with the bait is better, not doing a lot with the flies better. Well, so, I find
1: that to you know. be the case most of the year, but yes, especially in the winter. I find, so, I find less is more, you know, yeah, with, yeah. with that's why these, these, that's why these flies have the material that they have, you yeah, know, because yeah. they're, they're in, in and of themselves are strike indicators, right? They are mm-hmm. strike, I guess, uh, initiators, you know, they, mm-hmm. they look lifelike, they breathe in the water, they, yeah. you know, they, They come in, they come out, you know, they, they naturally sort of move like a, like a real animal or a real insect or whatever. So, um, yeah, Yeah, a
3: lot of the the flies that I use, they they have what I call, even with, even with my winter baits, they have what I call passive action. Mm -hmm. It's even when you're not moving them, there's something on the bait that's undulating or doing something. And that is really powerful, another powerful concept in the winter. If you have a can get a fly that has passive action, uh, and, and again, we're not talking about this big fluffy, you know, bass, you know, jig, you know, but like the rubber legs on this crawfish. I think there are one, two, three. There are like maybe ten of them, maybe, on here, um, and that's that's a lot. But ten of them, as opposed to like a bunch, a big wad of them, right? Um, and that's all you need to create that passive action. And even when that fly is sitting there, the fish is going to see that. A lot of times in the winter, and I've watched like winter videos of, of, of actually fish taking baits, they sit there and stare at that thing when it's still for a long time. Like so, they're
2: on the nest. Yeah, yes. <laughs> they do. They yes. eat it a lot like they're on the nest. And, yeah. and then they'll come up to it, and then they'll chomp down on it. A lot of times in the winter, if it's in the 30s, they
3: they're they're you know they're not a lot of times using their suction as much as they're just chomping down on that bait. And that's why if you've ever noticed any kind of fishing you've done, like even conventional fishing, a lot of times in the winter, if you're fishing in really cold water, you catch a lot of fish around the lip area, right? Yep. Like, you know, where, where it's been, you know, just kind of chomping down on your bait. So, so having sharp hooks is really important too.
1: Sharp, (laughs) thin, thin hooks as well. I, I. I yep. tend to use thin, you know, thin yes. hooks in the winter, but, and that's a tip I think I got from you actually on one of your videos. You talk about thin, yep. thin hooks because yeah. they, wire hooks. Yeah. Yep. You got it. Yeah. That's, so, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. So, um, cause
3: so the crawfish baits are one thing I use. I have another one I use. It's almost like a woolly bugger and it uses pine squirrels to make, uh, to make the claws on it. That's our super finesse one. And it's, it's, it's tied on about a size six. Um, hook i think it's a thirty-three sixty-six as well and it uses a bead and it looks like a woolly bugger with like basically two pine squirrel you know claws coming off of it right that's a, that's a great producer too that's super super finesse time there and that that bait about it's an inch and a half long
2: is that sort of inch like a half. skips dad i
3: i don't know what that is yeah, this is the one that i the local yeah. guy in um one of the local shops ties it and i think he he does like kind of designed it but it looks a lot like a woolly i just copied what he made (laughs) yeah yeah. and uh it looks like a woolly bugger with pine squirrels
2: okay so how do you
1: (laughs) we kind of have alluded to this a couple of times but like the bite and winner is different i mean it's very different like you said they chomp on it they don't you know, you, you won't get hammered, you know, you're not getting, I mean, you, well, I guess you can sometimes, but it's rare that you'll get really, really slammed, you know, in winter. It's more of a...
2: Slammed in the A-hole. Uh, yeah. In the A-hole, you don't, you don't
1: generally get slammed in the winter. Uh, but anyways, no, they, they'll just sort of, you know, you'll feel a little click almost. They're, right.
3: They're more gentle in the A-hole. <laughs> yes. And
1: it's in the B-hole. Sometimes you will get slammed. Uh, but, but in the A-hole, a lot of times it's, it is a little bit more gentle, but but anyways, uh, I mean uh, you know sensitivity is a big is a big weakness when it comes to fly gear. So how do you uh, is there any particular thing that, do you keep like a little a little uh, I guess belly of your line you put a little bend in it to as like almost like a strike indicator? Do you use a strike indicator? Is it all just kind of a you know stripping slowly to keep tension on the on the fly? What's your yeah. strategy there to kind of detect? I'm, I'm trying bite? to
3: keep tension on the fly really? Um, and, and, sometimes I, I am mending and I'm not keeping tension <laughs> and right. I'm just hoping that fish hangs onto that bait. Right. Um, you know, cause sometimes I'm trying to get, you know, there's, there's a, I explained in my, one of my articles, like he's a really long leader and I'm, I'm almost like dropping the thing down behind bridge pilings. Like, I'm jigging with my fly rod, basically.
0: <laughs> All right.
3: Um, All right. So, so, yeah, it's it that can be a little tenuous um, in terms of being able to feel something. But I, I usually try to just keep a, a tight line to the bait. Yeah. Um, but I'm not afraid to fish on a loose line either. Um, I really feel like the fly line sends a lot of those bites to us. And, and, and I've done this so long that... I probably can see, the, I see the line move in a certain way yep. <laughs> and I, and I and, and I, and I just set the hook. Um, you know, you can't I can't really I feel,
1: explain it. Yeah. I... <laughs> I
3: feel a little tap. I set the hook. I'm, I'm pulling, I'm, I'm doing a slow strip and all of a sudden like something just seems like it's you know bogging down a little bit and then I'm going to set the hook. So I set the hook a lot. That's the thing in the winter. If you think you have a bite, set the hook. Yep. Um, you know, cause you, you, might, and you probably do many times. So Jeremiah
1: so I, I and I, keep tight line. we've talked about this many times, like trying to explain yeah. like some of the things that just come naturally to people who've been on the water enough, like how to make a certain type of cast, you know, like we always yeah. talk about when you have to sneak a cast under like some tree limbs. Like, just drop your shoulder and feel it. You know, <laughs> like, like, we don't really know how to explain how to yeah. do that. Well, Same the, thing the, with, the, like, winter, like, feeling the bite. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I don't know, the line did something weird, and I yeah. just knew that it was a fish. Like, sometimes you
2: know? Chris will be like, you got one. Like, he sees my line jerk a little bit sideways before yeah. I even do, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, and it and is sometimes weird. It's on what
3: depending what part of my line I can see. If I see the tip of it, you know, sometimes you'll see the tip of it jump forward a little bit indicating the, the fish sucked the bait in right sometimes you know like i said you'll be tightening up and all of a sudden your line's getting really tight like tighter than you expect with the with the bait drifting in the in the so you expect that maybe that baits that flies anchored in a fish so you set the hook um i think the the big thing is i tell people in the winter is if you feel something that didn't feel like it felt before
2: it if you happened, feel something, say the, something. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> basically if you feel
3: something that feels different than you felt before, set the dang hook.
1: Right. Set, the, set the dang hook. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh any 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 other subject I think we kinda of, kinda of covered a broad array of subject. I could probably uh you know jo- Josh like I like we've kind of alluded to Josh went out and fished with you on the Susquehanna last year and I you know, it's, you're kind of, you know, you probably don't feel this way. You're, you're a bit of a, to guys like Josh and I who are complete nerds about river smallmouth fishing, you're kind of like a celebrity to us. So I asked Josh when he got back, like, how is Juan? What's he, what's he like, you know? And uh. Josh, the way he responded was like, he's a teacher. Like, he just teaches you. And yeah. like, so I think just listening to you talk on this podcast, I could probably just sit here and absorb information from you for like the next three weeks. But in the interest of your evening and in the interest yeah. of brevity, I'll probably just limit it to whatever, whatever else you want to add to the conversation. So It, that it was almost
2: like you were in the upper Mississippi with us. How much Josh, <laughs> Josh talked about yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it. it's a good it's, thing or a bad thing. <laughs> tr- no,
1: truly enlightening, uh, you know, a masterclass and, uh, you know, truly do appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and cool. gracing us with your with your knowledge here any anything else that you want to add to the conversation
3: yeah yeah and another i just want to add one more fly sure. because we talked about the crayfish flies there's two more that i use a jig yeah. fly so so a jig fly with a cur like a twister tail um like yeah uh, it was kylie uses as these slow they're called i think slow rollers and and i tie them in they're like a twister tail so you basically tie like a tiny jig on like about a size four hook using a dumbbell and I use about four or five strands of, uh, of, uh, round rubber for the skirt, you know, and then I use like, I, I tie a dubbing loop, um, use a dubbing loop and, and use long dubbing to make the body. And then I, I tie in, uh, actually first I tie in that tail, um, that slow roller tail or any kind of tail that like makes a twister off the bait is really good. And again, I'm, I'm shooting for a bait that's about three inches or less. With that, you know, okay. I call that a jig bait, basically. And, again, I do the same thing. I, I bend that hook up to a 70-degree. The other fly I use with a lot of success, and you mentioned this, is a clouser. Yeah. And I'm, I'm using clousers probably around 3 inches. Um, you know, that's that's probably a good size. You could use bigger if you wanted to. But I find, like, around that 3-inch seems to be the sweet spot. Um, and a lot of times with the clousers, though, I use a different technique. That's where that's where I actually will um, – swing the fly um because i feel like a lot of times they'll they'll hit it better when i swing it okay. close to the bottom um a lot of times a really good one in smaller flows where you have like this little cut out bank big those deeper bank eddies a lot of times the feeding fish are going to move to the billowy water on the eddy line uh and so what i tend to do is i'll cast my plows are out in again I, I adjust the weight so that i'm really picking bottom um, I'll cast that clouser out in the current and then let it swing in to the eddy, into the, naturally into that billowy water. Right, And then, then I just kind of keep it in there, and I'll slow strip it in and then pause it. slow. And, I'll, and I don't mind fishing a clouser laying on the bottom. One thing that anglers got to remember is this. In the winter, the, the, if you've ever observed, um, you know, minnow forage, <laughs> they hug the bottom in the winter. And a lot of times they can you know they're they're almost like they're injured you know what I mean like they just don't want to move they're just like kind of like laying there like
1: so you're almost like imitating sitting, like a like a piece yeah. of forage that's gotten chased out of its wintering spot got caught up in the in the current and has somehow yep. gotten it's exhausted or died and is yep. laying yep, on yep, the bottom it's just
3: there. And, yeah. and sometimes those bait fish do die and those fish will pick those bait you know they'll pick a clouser up off the bottom in the wintertime. They yeah. really will, oh, yeah. and and so and so. A lot of times with those kind of eddy pockets, I'll use a clouser to work that eddy line from top to bottom. You know what I mean, and work that billowy water, and even get it inside of the billowy water to the calm water. You know where the less aggressive fish tend to be. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so and, and, you know those those eddies those those eddy lines. I'm really trying to work. You know the the billowy water and then the still water as well, though. But I like to, to, to swing it into that. I've had a lot of success with that.
1: Hmm. Now, do you like? I guess this is probably something we should have talked about a little bit earlier. You said you mentioned long leaders. Uh, I'm assuming you're not using like even a tapered leader. It's probably just like a stick of like 12 yep. to 15 foot, like single strand fluorocarbon, like 12, 12 pounds, 10 pounds, something yep. like that
3: yep yeah basically i'm just using and i'll go pretty late i, I mean i'll go down to eight pounds yeah. um i'm just using usually a single piece of you know mono or fluorocarbon whatever i feel like i need to, to do the job um and, and I don't get into any tapers because you really, I mean, you're talking about, you know, dumbbell eyes and stuff like that. You're really not trying to lie that, lay that fly out there. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? You're just, you're just trying to huck it out there any way you can. <laughs> you know, well, I, think ta- I think
1: the, I think the non tapered leader actually helps them sink a little bit faster. At least I've, I've observed that like, well, yeah, because yeah. there,
3: because think about your top of your tapered leader is, is a lot bigger diameter than say an eight pound. Yeah. It's like That's, 30. Yeah. Know, it's like
1: 30 yeah. or 35 it's, or something. So yeah.
3: you're going to get better. You're going to get better. Better sink rate out of a out of a level line, basically a level leader.
1: Yeah, that's what I, I tend to try and use, like a like I said, twelve foot, fifteen foot, whatever yep. whatever length yep. it takes to get the fly to the bottom, you know. Yep. Yes. Um, and I just do a single strand of it, and uh, yeah. yeah. And if, if you're fishing behind you know objects like that, you have a longer leader, and you know you
3: have enough leader to get the bottom. You can actually fish it. I've done this where I'm fishing a really heavy jig style. Uh-huh. Um and I'm I'm fishing it literally like like Euro nymphing.
1: <laughs> yep. As much of the fly line out of the water as possible, just rod yes. tip rod tip up. Yep. If you if yeah. you have
3: enough leader. I've done I've done that with like I've done seventeen foot leaders <laughs> and basically <laughs> Euro nymph because they're in behind bridge. If I have a wearing pool with bridge pilings and I need to get it tucked in behind there. Do you ever try to throw fly line behind a bridge piling? Yeah. in
1: all the mixing water and
3: stuff. It's just pulling your
0: it's fly line. It's pulling your fly, fly line water. down.
1: It's pulling your yes. fly line to the side. Yeah. I, yes. as and much so as your as much of your fly line as you can keep out of the water in the winter, yes. I think is a, a I think yeah. that's a great tip. It's not always yeah. feasible, you know, to keep fly line, right. you know, as much of your fly line out of the water as possible, but yeah. when it is feasible you should try and do it because yep. Good it's it's a lot green. easier. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Well um, Anything else Juan? you want to you want to talk um, about here? I, th-
3: I think that's about it colors. We didn't talk about color um, Keep it simple. Don't give yourself too many choices when you're just getting started with winter fly fishing Yeah, all you really need is something, you know, these basic flies that I talked about um, If you have these basic flies you can catch fish 99% of the time out there I, I you know if you're on fish if you found the fish and you're in the right place you can catch
1: fish on this stuff. I do. Um, I do take my full box out in the winter a lot of times, but I, I notice the same thing. I maybe, maybe touch three flies the whole time yeah, I'm out there. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah. you know, it's, it, it if you got an overload of flies and you're switching every five minutes, you're, you're probably not doing the right thing. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's more about getting the fly to the bottom, getting the right type of drift, getting the fly to stay in the strike zone long enough for them to actually eat it. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's the big, that's the big thing.
3: Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and for cr- colors, I would say, you know, get some, you know, go, go natural colors when the water's clear and then, um, definitely have some blacks, some blues, some dark browns. Um, like my, my crawfish flies, I have a blue color cause that's the color of the crawfish in the Susquehanna. Okay. I have a rusty co- kind of a brown color cause that's kind of a standard color across the board. And then I have a all black color, um, that I use when the water gets muddy.
1: No, uh, is there a is there a visibility threshold that you'll use for winter fly fishing? Uh, you know, eighteen inches, twenty four inches of visibility, something like that. No, nope,
3: no. That one of the pictures of, on my on the uh, the kayak angler magazine article, I'm standing in water that you know I know you can't see two inches into it. And, and you were fly, and, I, and I you caught,
1: were fly fishing that day. And I was fly fishing. Wow, I was catching fish. Yeah. Wow. And I was
3: catching a a good number of fish.
1: Now, see, I. I mean, I, I tend to agree that like the visibility thing, like for, uh, you know, that's kind of a lot, of, uh, at least earlier on in our winter fishing careers, you know, it was kind of a, well, there's stain on the water, so let's not go. Definitely. That's not the case now, but I've never really tried the fly fishing thing with, you know, 18 inches or less visibility in the winter. That's, that's very interesting. I might have to give that a shot. So good, good
3: yeah, use your, you use your, use your, uh, sense uh, and, uh, you know, you really got to be zeroed in on where the fish are in that pool, and that was a situation where the water had been rising for a while, uh-huh. and the fish were still kind of in what I would call it near the top. They moved from the real dead areas of the um, pool, and they moved actually because there was a ledge system near the top of the pool. They moved up, and they weren't you know in the current, but they moved up near the top of the pool, And They were kind of packing up there to feed and they tucked in behind one particular ledge
1: Hmm.
3: And and so that's I caught almost all my fish off of that one ledge that day
1: now when the visibility is that low and I'm sorry to keep asking you questions, but uh, you know, so When the visibility is that low are you throwing like a rattle in there or anything like that? Are you just going pure visual like dark colors contrast? You
3: you could you could I, I don't think that would hurt um, but I'm, I'm not, I don't really, I bought some rattles to try to throw into stuff and I really haven't gotten around to doing it. I feel like almost if you put a rattle inside of a bunch of, you know, wrapped up chenille and stuff like that, like, I don't know how much sound you're going to get out of that. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, no, that's true. So, so, so I kind of like, kind of pushed that idea to the side after I really thought about it. Cause I've had, I've had a good enough, good enough luck doing what I'm doing and I don't feel like I need to do anymore, but definitely the sense help. Yeah, you know what I mean, because again, when you have that rising water, and it's going to be a little bit colder in the winter, because it might be a snow melt or something like that, um, you know, you got that rising water, um, that scent's going to help them keep hold, keep a hold of that bait a little bit longer, maybe ingest it a little bit deeper, so it'll give you a better shot to set the hook on them, or the hook themselves, you know, or the hook themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's other that's a that's a a good point too. So, all right, well, hey, I appreciate you, Juan. I appreciate your time no and. And calling in, and uh, I want you to send me, if you could, send me a picture of some of your winter patterns, and we'll post uh, when we announce the episode or when we post it up. Okay. I'll, I'll throw some right, of the folks. pictures in there. But uh, awesome talking to you, uh, and thanks a lot again.
3: yeah, right, no problem, Chris. Yeah, I, I hear you're. I hear you're a famous lawyer out
1: there. I googled you. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know about famous, but I, well, I, <laughs> I am I heard, a lawyer. I, so. this, I
3: read something on the internet that said you were the first lawyer to ever successfully sue your grade school-age kids for, for uh, pain and suffering. Against their future earnings.
1: <laughs> no, I think that maybe that might be Charlie Vaughn. There's another. There's okay. a. There's a famous. There's a famous trial lawyer in Indiana with the last name as me, and I get his. Accidentally get all of his giant settlement offers all the time, and I say <laughs> I have to say that's not my money. Please send this to Charlie Vaughn, not me. So, yeah, I'm just starting out here. I've only been in the game for about five years, but. Uh, awesome, but yeah, man. hey, awesome. good talking to you. Thanks a lot. Well to you, Chris. All right, no all problem, right, buddy. Take
0: it easy, man. Bye.
1: Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening. That was uh, the one and only Juan Verut. So, good stuff. What do you think?
2: I wish he had our last name.
1: (laughs) Did you just go poop? Juan Vaughn.
2: Juan Vaughn? No, I had to uh, pee pee.
1: Oh, very nice. Okay. Well, Jeremiah left for the last little bit of the uh, interview Yeah, Juan,
2: uh, nice to meet you. Uh, I didn't get the chance to tell you thanks, but uh, learned a lot from you. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it was a good interview, man. It's really good. Yeah. Well, uh, today we went out uh, to Ohio, picked up the jet. I'm getting ready to give Jeremiah a little tour. Haven't seen it. Uh, I'll be posting invited. some posting some videos and some photos. And, uh, you know, thanks a lot, bud, for coming over.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: And, uh, you know, everybody, thanks for listening. If you've listened this long. And, uh, as always, free
2: the fighter. Free the fighter.